Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh. It's a plain statement of fact that every aspect of Star Wars is forever being poured over, analyzed, and scrutinized. But one type of minutia that goes often understudied is the topography of Star Wars. The actual words that appear on the screen, they are as meticulously designed as every other aspect of this design-heavy universe. And I'm thrilled to be joined by an expert in Star Wars topography, the person behind Star Wars fonts on Twitter, Justin, welcome to Trash Compactor. Hello, thank you for having me on. I actually, um, I used info, I think, from the tweet pinned to the top of your account, the typographic style of the original green Lucasfilm logo and all of that. Yeah, everything sort of in the main crawl and before. Yes, exactly. I used yeah. all of that information when I was putting the graphics for Trash Compactor all together. I used all of that for like the font choice. And so thank you. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's what I'm doing it for, really. Oh, that is what you're doing it for. Oh, yeah. I, I want people I want people to take these fonts and like make like I want them to be able to make their own Star Wars. Basically, I'm putting it putting it back in the hands of the fans. No, I'm just kidding. I like it. I, no, no, I like it. The, um, well, that actually gets into a couple of questions I was going to ask you a little bit later, but why not get into it now? Like, um, yeah. what was the impetus behind creating Star Wars fonts? So it's primarily just a Twitter account, right? It is just the Twitter right now. I, I do have a YouTube as well. And on there, um, I so have much my, more work. my, yeah, I know. So uh, much more work. I, when I, when I made my, uh, the opening crawl tutorial, it took me weeks and weeks it actually took me maybe over a year to plan it and then when i finally got down to it it took me weeks and then just days and days just to record the uh voiceover for it because i just i couldn't get a normal rhythm going on um basically talking to rhythm. nobody and being worried that i would be eventually talking to nobody with it <laughs> i understand well that actually was something i was going to ask you about later on but um so for anyone who didn't pick that up justin has created i don't think it's controversial to say the definitive <laughs> star wars opening crawl tutorial i i hope so i'll have a link in the show notes for anyone who's curious to check it out but like i think it's pretty clear and this is coming from someone who was trying to make star wars fan films like back in 1999 2000 so i'm not wholly unfamiliar with trying to scrutinize the specific details of the the angle and speed and the subtleties in the topography but i mean this is the most comprehensive i think correct and accurate way to create your own authentic star wars opening crawl i don't think wow. I don't think you could do any better. I, I'm still going to try, though. Well, <laughs> well I, I want to keep I want to keep improving on it over and over and over. I mean, if you say so, I think it's pretty I think <laughs> it's pretty perfect. But um, so let me go back a little bit. Are you a designer by trade or is this just a personal obsession? And is it just Star Wars or topography in general? Uh, so I am a designer um, professionally. I'm a freelance right now. Um, but, you know, I've, I went to school for it. I got my degree in graphic design and uh, video, digital video. Um, and so, yeah, it's what I sort of trained to do. Uh, but like I never really did a whole lot of like typography when I was in school. But I have always been obsessed with that um, element of design. Uh, I just something about fonts. I just love so much. Um, they're there. It's something that you can like identify and collect and see like subtleties of and like it's something that has always gotten me connected to like movies and bands and tv shows that i can identify some part of it um that's immediately obvious for me i guess is is one of the reasons that i like type so much 
Um, and so obviously Star Wars has some iconic type uh, at the beginning of it. So it, it seems kind of an obvious choice because I love Star Wars so much um, to take these two things and, and put them together. No, that makes total sense. That's actually yeah. really fascinating that that's like something that you kind of latch onto as your way of connecting with something because like you identify the typeface. Um, can I ask you a question you may or may not know the answer to? Sure. When did we start saying font instead of typeface? Is oh, that like a computer thing? Probably. I've always wondered that, but I've never actually looked it up. I, I guess technically the typeface is sort of like the design and like the family of the of right. the fonts or whatever. And then the font is the one specific style of it. But I just use typeface and font interchangeably. No, so <laughs> like, do I. It's, I just, think... it's, it's a lot easier for me. No, same. I think that anyone who may have been pedantic about that particular <laughs> distinction once upon a time is probably no longer with us. Um, so you alluded to the very iconic fonts or typefaces. Okay, so now I'm going to be self-conscious about what I say. <laughs> oh, just <laughs> go ahead and say fonts. I'm Star Wars fonts, not Star Wars typefaces. Okay, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> um, you referred to the beginning of Star Wars. It opens with fonts, with words, with text. With words, so famously. Yeah. yeah. And setting aside the logo itself, which I want to talk about separately, like what is it about the fonts that are so distinctive to Star Wars that like really catches your eye? I mean, they're they're obviously uh, large and yellow, <laughs> which is something that's that'll true. really get you like that's it's like how they, they used to say that school buses are yellow because they catch the eye like mm. faster or whatever. Like so obviously the, the type kind of does the same thing there. Um, but like the, I guess the fact that it's sort of written out and I know that it's sort of like based on the the old like Flash Gordon serial opening sure. crawls and things like that. But like I guess you can kind of see them as like there it's like a newsreel sort of thing. Like you have like this newspaper, you have like a big headline at the top, then you have like the information that goes underneath it. And I, like, to me, it was sort of an interesting different way of starting a movie than like opening credits. Because especially back in, you know, even before, like I've heard that George Lucas changed the rules of movie making by not having a full opening credits with like, you know, everyone who worked on the movie. I mean, it's certainly a very bold way of opening a movie. Yeah. But even aside from the crawl itself, like I'm still pretty attached to the old green Lucasfilm limited logo from those original movies. And I love that you include the comparisons of those. Yeah. I mean, they're as far as I'm concerned, they're part of the movie. Yes. Um, especially and it wouldn't I feel like it, it's not as important with like the prequels and the sequels because it's the same logo every time like there's no variation except for you know they used to have the one that like flashed green and then became gold and then the new one is just silver and you know the light comes across or whatever but like in the old ones for each of the three movies it was a different you know they they used a different typeface for it which i thought was really cool because it it just it kind of reminds you of like how scrappy these movies really were like mm -hmm. even something that they could have reused like a piece of film that they could have reused they were just like no we'll just We'll just set it again and we'll, you know, it's like a brand new, it's a brand new production, you know, brand new day, whatever. Like we're, we're just going to reset Lucasfilm limited in some new green text that we have, and we'll use whatever font is laying around. And I think I just, there's something really special about that to me. 
Well, that's actually something else that I wanted to ask you. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and this is just an example of like you used to be able to like see the human fingerprints. I mean that in like a mostly figurative way. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it is a literal way, uh, but like you can see that it's like not perfect. Yeah. Like. Clearly, the intent here was to recreate the exact same thing. But no, they redid it. It was probably not the same guy. And they probably had access to a different, I don't even know what you call it. Not like an iron-on, but like a peel-on sort yeah. of thing. Like Yeah, like the those like Letraset things where you like scratch them onto. Yeah. Yeah. So they probably had like a slight variation one and they shot it with like a different camera on a different day. And it just looks yeah. different. It just looks different. It just looks different. Whereas now, you know, you open up the old project file from the last one and you copy paste into the new one and it looks exactly the same. Yeah. And I'm wondering from a design perspective, especially from someone who has scrutinized those logos and the crawl to the degree that you have, do you feel... Do you feel like something has been lost with that, like that imperfection that has been completely eliminated from the design process? Or are you sort of relieved that you don't have to worry about, you know, <laughs> everything not um, being exactly right? I feel like I would be more relieved just, I mean, just from having to identify them over and over, you know, but like <laughs> even in the prequels, which you can you can see that they definitely did some like copy and pasting, but there's a lot of inconsistency in those too, even though they would have been made probably in the same way. And then the same thing with the the sequels slightly less um, inconsistent with those, except for the changing of the title font between seven and then eight and then back to the one they used in seven for nine. I wonder if like that's a simple case of JJ's guy did it on seven and then someone else did it on eight and then JJ's guy was back again on nine and just he did it again. So like he uh, he, he did the way he did it the, the first time. Well, Maybe. see, I, you would think so. But I think what really happened um, and I think I this is sort of my theory. I don't think anyone's ever cared about this as much as I do. Um, but I remember the earliest, the day that they announced um, the title for episode eight, Ryan Johnson posted uh, like a picture that he took of the monitor of the crawl that mm -hmm. someone had finally like written The Last Jedi in. And you can see that it's it's typed out in the exact same font as the first uh, as episode seven used. But then by the time the movie came out, they had switched it to something else. And I think that is because uh, in the font that they were using originally, uh, News Gothic Bold Extra Condensed, the J just sort of comes down and then ends like it's like a very short little tail on the J. And so Jedi is a pretty important word in that crawl. Uh, and so then they they switched it to something that looked vaguely like it, but had a much stronger J that actually like went down and then back up a little bit. And then I think when they when they did that, like they had to you know do that just so Jedi looked better in that crawl. Then when Rise of Skywalker came out, they still wanted, I assume they still wanted it to look uh, more like the Empire Strikes Back crawl title mm. than Return of the Jedi. So they just went back to it because they didn't have any J's and the R's in News Gothic have like the straight leg instead of the, or sorry, the uh, angled leg instead of the one that sort of curves out and then comes down like in Return of the Jedi. So I think they, they did that strictly because just for the J and then they went back because they didn't need that anymore. That is a much more thorough and plausible <laughs> analysis than what I said that I totally buy. <laughs> I think you're exactly right.
I like the idea of dueling designers, though. Like JJ's guy is yeah. like, here's our crawl. And Ryan's guy was like, I don't think so. This is no, the I crawl. Mean, that's like, I'm not even saying that there's any like, you know, knowing animosity there. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just like, here's my guy. Like here, you do this. Yeah. yeah. And then it's just, it's just literally a different person. Like as, as someone who does a lot of, you know, video work like that, who gets handed projects from others and like sees it passed around. I mean, I mean, that stuff happens. It's like, you know, yeah. this person, they do it this way and, and this person does it that way. And everyone has their own style. Yeah. Yeah. Most people, with the exception of the elite few, will ever know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> but then there are people with eyes and fascinations and obsessions like you and people like me who want the benefit of your obsession to know about these things. Yeah. I want that full story. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know the whole process. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That that is something I can relate to very much. Um, I have to ask you about your obsession with the O's in the Andor logo. <laughs> yeah, what is this about? What is so unique or fascinating I mean, about it? I mean, the the fact that they've never shown us a regular O in that logo of the four now that we have. You know, the original one that was sort of stencil, and then the next one that had like the two serifs going over the negative space of the O and then the next one that had the three serifs going over the negative space of the O and then the, the most recent one that has uh, just a totally different font entirely. Um, but I don't know, just the fact that like the O is always, well, except for the newest one, um, but in the two middle ones, the O is just a different font from the other four letters. Uh, it's just kind of an interesting choice. And I, I don't know, I just decided to make that something that I talked about a lot. Um, don't really know why. So it's specifically that they would never just show you like a normal O, like the yeah. the absence of the O, like the negative, the contrast of the O in relation to the other letters and the logo was what like they were using for their sort of visual flair for this particular logo. Yeah. And yeah. like, we're just trying, we're trying to figure out if maybe it has a meaning. Because um, in the first logo that they showed, the stencil oh. one, the O was the, the Rebellion logo, um, which in the show oh, you can see like above sense. yeah and so like right. obviously that's a, a very standard like if if andor was a was part of the empire it would probably be the o would be the imperial logo you know like these things just fit the circles so well but then when they changed it up to a much taller sort of font where the o wouldn't be a perfect circle or anywhere near that they decided to just because they were using um for the second logo they used a font called agency um which has very like sharp not very sharp, but like sharper curves. And the O is more of like a rounded rectangle than, mm. um, than like an oval. Uh, but the negative space in that logo is more like a, uh, like an oval clearly from like a, like a font like din or alternate Gothic, something with much more rounded, uh, like top and bottom. And so it's just, we're, we're all just kind of wondering like what the reason is, like, why is it that the O is different and, cut out basically just leaving the negative space of like the counter of the o does it mean something unclear obviously the the rebellion logo meant something in the first one um it's integral integral to like who he is as a person but like what does this ghost o thing mean well, probably nothing <laughs> well not necessarily like like i find that shows like this tend to cheekily hide hints in logos which is 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 what i think you're getting at yeah, like right. the Obi-Wan Kenobi logo, the eye was the lightsaber handle. Right, right, right. Um, and then like, I, and the whole thing was sort of like, 
worn down with like sand and then i think even in the opening credits like the sand kind of like blows across it and maybe even dissolves it i can't remember exactly but like obviously that meant something about like the lightsaber being the symbol of a jedi and like that's something that he couldn't get rid like get away from even though he was trying to hide himself like on tatooine which is obviously sandy and was like eroding him and whatever so i feel like a lot of the times the logos mean something in the context and i just we haven't figured out what this Andor one means yet. No, and we may not know until we either see the rest of the season or maybe even in fact <laughs> the, the whole show. Yeah. So three years from now, we're going to be like, oh, that's what it was. We got finally. Yeah, which is maddeningly plausible. Yeah. But, um, so speaking of logos, I'd like to talk a little bit about the logos for the original Star Wars. There's obviously the one that appears in the film itself. Mm -hmm. And then there's sort of that one that's on all of the one sheet. The perspective. Logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the perspective, like triangular one where Star Wars like sort of flares out at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they went with the one that they ultimately chose, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not a designer, but I do think it makes use of negative space and that it's only the outline of the words. Yeah. Uh, would that be considered a use of negative space or not really? No. Um... No, I guess not. not right? Yeah, not not as far as I'm concerned, I would say like yeah. the negative space would be be like between the letters for sure. But I guess given that it's it is like a yellow outline, but they, the letters are filled in with black. That's true. So that's something I've always wondered. Like, is that was that the intention or was that just the easiest way to do it with the optical technology at the time? Because like, was there a fear because of how quickly it moves that they would lose the fine edge of the thing? Hmm. Because I really don't understand for the life of me why it's filled in. I think it just looks stronger because I think that once you because I've seen even in official images today, like sometimes it'll just be the outline of the logo and then you'll see the stars in between the lines on the insides of the letters. And it just I feel like it's a lot more distracting, especially because a lot of those images, they use much denser star fields, uh, which they, you know, obviously they were in the original movies like star fields weren't that dense. And if they were, they weren't all that bright. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it's they they kept it filled in with black a it might have been a little bit easier just because it would have been something physical that they would have been filming. And so maybe like having to cut it out and then cut it out again on the inside, like yeah. they would much more likely, they'd be a lot more likely to like tear the very small right. outlines that remained. So maybe it might've been a technical thing, but I do think that it creates a stronger image by having those letters filled in. Uh, so you don't see the stars in between. You see only around the logo. No, no, that does make sense. Like, I don't know if it's for the sequel trailers, but I definitely have seen the logo where you can see the star field through the outline. And you're right. There's just something about it that's not quite it's not quite as strong. It is a little yeah. it is a little distracting. Are, are the sequel trailers like that? Do you mind if I check real quick? I have a screenshot. No, of here. course. Go ahead. OK, Um, let's see. No, now I don't remember where they are. I'll look oh. it up later. <laughs> OK, well. So on that note, do you feel like like there's something about the original trilogy, how each film had its own unique logo that I really love that sort of the prequel trilogy, they each had sort of a uniform style for each of the three prequels that, yeah. that emphasized the episode number. The episode over the title. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, that was like in the lineage of the Return of the Jedi logo. It's that it's that same sort of serif, very sort of... um 
I don't know the word for it. It just seems like, you know, very uh, formal. Yeah, very formal and important. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then for the sequels, they switched it up a little with the different color of the logo. So the films, I guess, have a little bit of a unique identity, but like not yeah. the same way the original ones did. I mean, very little. Yeah. Yeah, very like little. The original ones, the original ones having a totally different logo for each one, especially the first one having like nine different logos, basically. And then the second one and third one having like their own that were, I mean, even though like, I guess the Return of the Jedi had Revenge of the Jedi first and it was sort of set a little bit differently it was more like vertical in the in the original ones but like they all sort of had their own visual language i guess even if they didn't have a set logo the entire time um and i think that just goes straight back to just how like scrappy those original movies were you know like they were never sure that the second one was going to be made and then after the second one they probably still weren't entirely sure that the third one was going to be made and so like they didn't have all those materials set up to go probably and so they're i bet they were just so excited they were just like hey get a designer in here create a create a logo for this like we're not we don't necessarily want to call it star wars this we want these to just be movies kind of like how um i mean i guess they abandoned this pretty quickly but like raiders of the lost ark was just raiders of the lost ark and then the second one they were like well now we have to do like because it's another indiana jones we have to tell them what the series is you know right right exactly um and that once again, like it's just like franchising obviously has changed in terms of how it's done, um, what kind of things they pay attention to, what kind of things are protective of. Uh, and so I think by the time the prequels came out, they were like, well, obviously we want to present these as as the earlier ones in the series. We need to make sure that everyone knows that this is first. So the way to do that is to really emphasize episode one. This is number one. This is the first movie in the thing. <laughs> Please come see it and you'll see, you know, everyone uh, way before. Um, but but also it's called The Phantom Menace and it's right here. Right. We, we've <laughs> written that at the bottom, too. Well, so what's interesting about that, too, is that, you know, for the longest time, we already knew these movies as episodes one, two and three for years before they were even made. So so it was sort of like leaning into the terminology that already existed. Yeah. Like, I remember when they made the announcement, the title of episode one was The Phantom Menace. Like, most people still called it episode one. I think people still call it episode one to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that has to do with the design of the logo, but the logo certainly reinforced yeah. that perception. That is a good point, actually, because I, I guess I wasn't as like tuned in to sort of the rumor mill at the time in the 90s um i mean before that movie came out i was you know like when when it was first announced i guess i would have been what 96 97 when they really started like talking about it i was only like eight or nine years old so i wasn't yeah. super plugged in um with that so like it's interesting that everyone calling it episode one knowing that a, a new star wars was coming out it was a prequel and this is going to be episode one, because if you remember, uh, the other ones are episodes four five and six. And you've probably never noticed, but they are. Um, so like here comes this new one that's going to be before. So, yeah, like calling it episode one. Yeah. For the first one, just from like a branding standpoint to communicate to the general public who maybe is not paying attention to the fact that Empire Strikes Back was actually was actually episode five and not yeah. uh, the second Star Wars. It's actually the fifth Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> so for the first one, it makes sense to communicate clearly to the viewing public what this is. Mm -hmm. And then I guess they just kind of stuck with it because I mean, like. 
I mean, once again, like after the Phantom Menace episode one, before we knew the name of the second one, we were all calling it episode two already. And it's interesting because between Star Wars and Empire, we didn't know that the Empire Strikes Back was going to be episode five. Like there was just Star Wars. And this is a little before my time. I wasn't around then. But uh, the episode four in the crawl, you know, very famously was only added for the 1979 re-release so that uh, I think it was I think it may have been the the 81 re-release. I think you're actually right. I believe yeah. I believe so cuz I think it wasn't until after Empire came out that then they were like, "Oh, by the way, um the other one was episode 4. You didn't just miss three movies." Well, so something that I always imagined like imagine you have been waiting 3 years to see the new Star Wars and you get your tickets for The Empire Strikes Back and you sit down and let's go down and you see trailers for like I don't know, The Shining or whatever else came out that year and then the movie starts you see the Star Wars logo, and for a second, you're like, are they showing the last movie? Like, is this <laughs> is this the right movie? You know, because, like, there was no precedent for that, like, like unified house style of, like, yeah. we show the Star Wars logo, it recedes into the distance, and there's a crawl over a star field. Like, there were some, some storyboards for Empire where the opening crawl actually happened over the ice field of Hoth. Oh, And then after the crawl recedes, the camera moves and reveals Luke on the Tauntaun in that opening shot, right? Yeah. So it's just like we take for granted the degree to which that visual style was something like very intentional. Like there was a decision made circa 1979, 1980 to make these films not that unique in terms of their design and their branding. Uniformity at the beginning, which... I guess would once again probably come from like the Flash Gordon opening crawl kind of thing. But also like, I don't imagine that every single Flash Gordon episode had their crawl over the same background. So I guess like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So I feel like it would have made just as much sense to have the crawl going over the ice field instead of the star field by just being like, we are, we've set our scene. This is where it's going to be. By the way, here's what's been going on. And now we join, you know, our story already in progress or whatever. Like it would have, it would have been just, just as fine to have it go over the, uh, the ice instead, except for the fact that then like, especially if you were sort of tilted down toward the ice, the words would be going like parallel to the ground, I guess, in, in terms of like actual 3d space beyond the camera. Yeah. So maybe, and then then they would what, just be like orbiting the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Like at a certain point, you got to think about maybe like what the physical space of the words are going to be. That's why they put it like back into space. They were like, never mind. They've got to go. Yeah, like this is too much. We'll just do it the same way we did it last time. (laughs) Um, uh, But yeah, like one of the things that I was really curious about in the lead up to Rogue One, what are the opening credits going to look like? Like, what are they going to do? Like, which of those elements are they going to keep there for brand cohesion? But which ones are they going to ditch? to make you know that this is not a Skywalker saga film. Yet still Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is also something that has really excited me about each of the new... So I guess now we're not really making Star Wars movies anymore. We're making Star Wars shows primarily. But like the way that they choose to portray themselves with the choice of fonts 
and how they utilize them. Like, I think Rogue One was the first movie to have the on-screen legends, like where they say like, okay, here's the name of this planet. And now, okay, now we're over here at this planet. And something I thought was really interesting with Andor was that they carried over that visual style of spelling out on screen where you are. Yeah, like a little expositional shortcut. Yeah, that um, really ties it to Rogue One, which makes sense Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's like a part of the Rogue One lineage. So it makes sense that it would retain that. What I did think was actually really crazy was that at the beginning, they had BBY-5. Yeah. Before the Battle of Yavin, which is like a fan extended universe thing that lets you know when something is happening in relation to the first Star Wars movie that like we've never actually seen. I really enjoyed that being there because like I get because there there are sort of different levels of like where something exists within a story to me. Like and I I don't know. I don't know what this means, really. But like on screen text is something that only exists for us, the audience. And so so it makes sense to put the put things like that in terms that we would understand, because if if it started and it was like, this is more Lana one, this is the headquarters of the whatever. um, And this is taking place in galactic year seven dash b is something you'd be like well i don't know what that is <laughs> that's nothing right. so obviously like it makes sense to have this term that was agreed upon years and years ago um to just be like hey by the way like bby5 you know what that is and if you don't know what it is then you probably don't care about star wars that much so it doesn't matter and i think that's really neat so but that is interesting though for someone who who has never read anything about star wars or like read any non filmic star wars like for them the bby5 is essentially the same thing as like galactic year 7 21 3 4 yeah. or whatever but like that's fine i mean it's okay if you don't know what that means because you i mean all that really matters is that you know it takes place before rogue one and the easiest way to know that is because andor is walking around and breathing and stuff so <laughs> right so obviously right. it's a prequel yeah. Um, Actually, so it doesn't, a good point. <laughs> it doesn't really matter like when it is, but you're just like, okay, I'm keeping my, the sort of timeline of rebellion straight. So I know that it's five years before the battle of Yavin. Um, and that's gonna, that's just gonna kind of give me a frame of reference that you don't necessarily need, but it's, it was just kind of nice of them to do that. If they want to give us this, this long drawn out story of Cassian. Well, something that somebody pointed out in a Twitter thread, I, th- I think maybe it was one of yours, but I'm not sure. Um, somebody commented that as the show goes on, that it's going to start to feel like it's a countdown clock. Oh. And it's actually going to create sort of a tension yeah. because we all know what happens when it gets to zero. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And plus, like with with having like a before time, you you do get to have like five, then down to four, then down to three. Whereas Galactic Year 7B, 718, whatever, that's just going to keep counting up. That's nothing like that's not there's no tension in that. Um, Yeah, though, 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 a part of me wishes that they had written it five BBY instead of a BBY five, five, yeah. Because like when you say it out loud, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, before Battle of Yavin 5. Exactly. Like, no, it's like 5 before no, Battle it was, of Yavin. It was Yavin 4, actually, is what you'd be saying, which was a very funny thing that I said on Twitter earlier. Oh, I just got that joke. There you go. Sorry. It's funny. <laughs> it's a funny one. No, it is funny. It was very funny. Um, but no, yeah, like five, five years, because like you, I guess you assume the years in the five. So it's like five before the Battle of Yavin. 
Um, right. But yeah, before the Battle of Yavin, five. <laughs> like, it's just, it's a weird, it is a weird way of saying it, but because, like, I guess, is it, is it in, in BC and AD, you do like what number and then BC, but then for AD, it's AD, then number. Yeah. Is that, is that how we do it? Yes. Okay. Maybe that's how I they think. do it too. <laughs> They're just like, it's Maybe. five BBY, but then it's ABY seven. Yeah. I mean, like I would say that they, that it was like just sort of an oversight, but you know that there were conversations about this, right? Yeah. Like definitely. And I think Pablo Hidalgo like responded today to someone asking about that, saying that like, no, it's, it's been used both ways, you know, for, for years and years, this, the order of the, the BBY and the number. So I guess they just, whatever, whatever they felt looked better on screen or maybe whichever one sort of conveyed that it was a year to the people who didn't know. Well, that's true. Yeah. Like that's probably ultimately what the decision came down to because like they probably yeah. when you see five bby it's like five something it's like if, five if, something i need to know something but if you see like yeah. bby five yeah it's like a quantity something assume, yeah yeah you right. can just assume that bby like means galactic year or something it's like oh galactic year five that's fine that's a date i get it right F- five bby could be like five kilometers from the middle of the city or something so they they probably thought of it like that. They were like, what is this play as? They may have even like written down both of them and asked people like, what do you think these things represent? And people are like, well, that one's probably a year and that one's probably a quantity or something. Yeah. No, you're probably so, right. Yeah, that's probably that's probably how they yeah. did it. That's how that's how I would have done it if I had thought about it and was involved. So but yeah, back to that original Star Wars logo. I mean, it's so iconic. Like you were saying, like the first movie had like a zillion logos. Like, why do you think the one that they went with in the film, like why that one from a graphic design standpoint? What do you think it is about that logo? It's really well balanced. Um, And like for most of the logos that they had, or at least some of them, because they had a lot of like prototype logos that were sort of in just like regular text. There was um, one of the early books just had it in like Helvetica. Um, then they had like their Comic-Con booth that had that just sort of like spindly, like angular text or whatever. And then you start getting the one, the, uh, the perspective one, which I believe was meant to be shown at the top of the crawl and was actually going to go out into space with it. And so that's why they wanted to have, Hence the I don't perspective. know, I don't know why they would want it to have perspective and then additional perspective, or if it was supposed to be perspective on the posters, but then it was going to actually be like in actual perspective. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure, but I think that once they changed it to be from like being in as part of the crawl and as something that comes in first and sort of flies away, they, I think they needed something that was a little wider um, Mm. and a little bit more straight on. And so like, you know, obviously we've seen like Susie Rice's original logo with like the, the straight, um, the straight sided W and then the one with like the, um, the W that looks like the one that we know, but has like the point in the center yeah, right, instead of the flat. Right, the yeah. Point. Like, I think that once they got it, got to all those, uh, they probably just wanted something that fit the frame a little bit better as something like wider, because you know, these movies are filmed in such a wide aspect ratio. So they were like, well, we just need something that fills it a little bit better and doesn't leave you with all this negative space just on the left and the right as it goes. And so I think they probably like when that decision was made to have it flying back into space instead of being part of the, the perspective of the crawl they were just like yeah we just need something like balanced and wide and that's probably just where that came from no and it's interesting also because i know that there were versions of it where it was like 
one line in, instead of star stacked on top of wars. Mm -hmm. And now that you're talking about it, like the thought process, the balancing of it for the frame, and then also knowing that it'll be receding so it'll get smaller, like it's sort of creating a shape, a size and a shape yeah. that like will fit nicely within the frame at sort of retain a shape. Yeah, very recognizable, even as it gets smaller. And I think because of because of the color and the fact that it's outlines and then the fact that like if it was all on one line, you would have just like flat top and bottom and then you'd have just tiny little shapes on the the left and the right with just the S's basically. But because they're stacked, you get sort of this like almost wide hexagon kind of thing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. has very recognizable sides. And then the tops are it's just a little bit less you know, flat space basically. And so, yeah, like as it gets smaller, it just becomes this, it's not even really words anymore. It's just a shape that you can it, instantly mm -hmm. recognize in outline, which, so from a branding perspective, that was a very good choice to have that. Doug Chang, the concept artist said that he learned very quickly working with George Lucas at the very beginning of episode one, that the key to design was the silhouette. Like you need to be able to recognize it immediately. Yeah. And then like, know that this ship is this ship and that ship is that ship. And like right. that same logic applies with a logo. So you mentioned um, Susie Rice, I believe her name was, who was mm -hmm. the designer of that original logo and then was slightly modified by Joe Johnson, I think. I think so. That sounds... She said that George Lucas's only instructions to her was that he wanted something very fascist, mm -hmm. something recognizable that would rival like the AT&T logo. So as soon as you saw it, it would completely overpower you. And like when you look at that logo, that's what it does. It's yeah. like, and I can't explain why, like I don't have the the words or the design language, but there is something... I'm not sure if I either, but yeah, like it. it's definitely something that that really resonates when you see it. You're just like, oh yeah, that's the Star Wars logo. Like, I know that. And you do feel those things. It's like Star Wars. It's like, yeah, this it's it. like well, I mean, that's what happens when you see that every time you see that logo, it's accompanied with a blast of horns. Yeah. And you're just like, oh yes, no, I recognize that. It's that's the Star Wars logo. I I I know that sound anywhere. But like it's such a recognizable logo that like I've seen people on um like font identify, like there's a there's a Reddit that I go to a lot, the identify this font. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know that one, but like I saw someone asking about a font that was not related to Star Wars at all, but because the sort of visual language of the Star Wars logo was so strong, someone was like, oh, that's probably just one of those like Star Wars font clones. And I was like, haha, very, very funny. But no, that's wrong. Like, so that's how strong the Star Wars logo is that it, it makes other fonts look like the Star Wars logo, especially if they if it's something that's like outlined in yellow mm. like once once people see any text that's just yellow outlines they're gonna see the star wars logo and i think that is just i mean that it's it's so strong that it just overpowered an entire look of like type well actually so that's interesting because we were talking about how they were going to decide the look of rogue one the rogue one logo in the movie mm -hmm. is literally rogue one in yellow outlines and nothing yeah. more yeah. Like that says Star Wars enough. Like that yeah. says Star Wars. You don't need a Star Wars logo if everything you're doing except for the font and the words is screaming Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy. Yeah. Like something that I think is sort of taken for granted is that the typefaces in the movie, not just the crawl, but even like the subtitles, mm -hmm. you would think 
there be a temptation to do something like really kind of crazy looking and and sort of and and sort of spacey and sort of like sci-fi with like yeah. you know I mean, like, especially in the 70s, like, I don't know, I'm thinking of that, like, computer font that shows up oh, in all those, like, 1970s like, movies. Like Westminster and Data 70, the ones that uh, that look like that look like the bottom of a check. Yes. Those right. Kind, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, rather than going that way, they went with very straightforward, very clean. I don't want to say traditional, because I think traditional, at least in my mind, would evoke more of like a serif sort of a font. Though I guess for film, I don't know how like well. You, like you're reading a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but they didn't go for like the Baroque sci-fi, like out of this world thing. Like they kept everything very relatable and straightforward. And and continuing to make it look like a serial from the 1940s, basically. Like, I think that George oh, that's definitely. I think yeah. that he definitely had his idea that this was, this was not a sci-fi movie. This was like a space fairy tale, basically. Yeah. And he was like, "It's going to look like the old Flash Gordon things. We're going to have, you know, uh, just like a tall gothic font that has just a, a very like strong drop shadow, and that is what you're going to see." Like. I can't think of anything more inappropriate to see than like in the middle of the cantina, Greedo comes up and says, going anywhere solo. And what you see is like that computery font at the bottom, like, no, as I know if totally. he was like a droid or something. No. Yeah. Totally. Like, like I'm also a Star Trek fan and I was watching the director's edition of Star Trek, the motion right, picture yeah. not that long ago. And there are subtitled alien languages in that film. But the subtitles are in some like wacky, like very over-designed space font that's like hard to read. It's like uh -huh. hard to, you know, it's like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. It's very over-designed, but like, you know, very kind of what was thought of as appropriate for that kind of movie at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny now, I think for like sci-fi or for space, I think that everyone thinks of like Futura or like some Helvetica variant. Yeah, or like Euro style or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Euro style is what I was thinking. Um, which is really interesting that that's the association is with those like more kind of clean, more straightforward yeah, looking. Sort of geometric and industrial. I guess like that was sort of the way people saw like sci-fi. Because I guess if I had to guess, um, and I don't, I, I haven't read much about this because I don't have the book that really goes into it. Um, typeset in the future. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, but I don't have it. Yeah, either, yeah. I, I really need to get a coffee. I don't know what I'm waiting for. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they show like the typefaces in like Alien and like Star Trek and like Euro style is just everywhere. So like it must have been that people saw that saw it as like this. Like kind of futuristic, like geometric, but very readable and like utilitarian kind of font. And like, I guess that's mm. where they saw those kinds of designs going in the future um mm. and the fact that it just it it never made its way into star wars really uh is probably yeah. for the best to keep it like it, like star wars is very much anchored to the past and not the future i mean it's a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and it's it draws from those like 1940s serials so like it makes sense they wouldn't have any of those sort of futuristic um and like go for those kind of design trends that like star trek was going for at the time Sure. Um, yeah. No, that's a good it's point. A, it's a cool, like anti, like anti Star Trek kind of thing. No, totally. And it's also it's sort of a similar mindset behind the decision behind the orchestral score, right? So, like, mm -hmm. 
rather than like some spacey wacy like theremin you know, heavy theremin heavy yeah, yeah. synthy bleeps and bloops soundtrack it was like no we're going very traditional and very straightforward like as if as if to say that this movie this movie would have been exactly the same had it been made in the 70s or the 60s or the 40s or the 20s you know which to some degree is is true like mm-hmm. the movie the only thing that i think really sets the film in a moment in time like most movies without knowing beforehand like you can see them and probably off the top of your head guess within about five years of when it was made mm-hmm. like star wars i think the only thing that might kind of give it away is like the hairstyles maybe i was gonna say the haircuts and the fact that everyone has mustaches yeah um what of the shows do you think has the most interesting or most successful like brand identity or like you know logo and design because it is interesting the ways that they inherit and can kind of pick and choose as you were saying before like what from the star wars visual language they are going to keep and what they are going to get rid of and that says something about the kind of star wars it is uh we've got what mandalorian boba fett kenobi andor and then and then like rebels and clone wars and yeah and all those ones um you know like i would say that clone wars for sure went with more of like a saga look to it like it starts with like every episode starts with a quote in like the iconic blue like a long time ago mm-hmm. text um but then instead of doing like an opening crawl like newsreel kind of thing they do like the the like in the movies kind of newsreel like having the guy like talking like this week on Coruscant or whatever you know um which that was just as an aside a very cool way to start an episode of uh, a show every single time i just i loved that every single time No, and it's also a very cool way to sort of evoke that same feel, but like not just redo the same thing. And it's also for kids who can't necessarily read, though, I suppose I suppose any kid watching Clone Wars should have probably been old enough to read, but Eh, maybe not necessarily. Um, I don't know. But it also does also like firmly place it within like wartime instead Mm -hmm. of just like this isn't just like a regular newspaper where you're reading about whatever, like obviously all of Star Wars is wartime that's just kind of part of the uh, the name of it um but the fact that these are like otherwise it would just be like star 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 adventures star adventures yeah (laughs) welcome to the star adventures um but no like having having the clone wars look like sort of look and feel like it is like a newsreel like every like every day or every week or something like when you go to the movie theater to see something maybe you're going there to watch like a flash gordon serial or something and then they like tell you like oh by the way this is what's going on on the front uh kenobi and skywalker got into something else like it's just i thought i thought it was a very good idea it's not it's not typographic at all but um you know very good idea what was the question <laughs> i'm not sure but i like your answer thank you so I've got here, uh, what's the most interesting detail or fact that you've come across in your study of Star Wars fonts? So I think you may have dropped some really interesting ones, but. Um, I mean, one of the things was like having to discover what the opening crawl title font was for the Empire Strikes Back and then A New Hope when they re-released it. Um, because like I said, like those two, the title part of the crawl is different from Return of the Jedi. It's different from the prequels. It's different from the sequels. And it was a really big mystery that was literally the reason why i started researching like star wars fonts in the first place so it's this was the mystery at the heart of my journey on the way to making this twitter account because no one seemed to know what it was 
it didn't match the other uh any of the other fonts that was that were used it looked vaguely like the one in the force awakens but you could tell that it was a little bit different and like whatever and so going sort of going down that rabbit hole and finally finding the answer to that one was i mean that that's my favorite thing that i've done so far how did you find the answer uh, I stumbled upon it when I don't even I'm not even sure if I was looking for it at the time, but I found um, I found like a table of different fonts that the American Type Founder company was like offering for headlines. And right there in just like on one side of it was this font called News Gothic Extra Condensed. And I was like, well, that that looks familiar. And it turns out the reason I couldn't find it before is because it it had never really been digitized. It was part of the News Gothic family, but no one seemed to bring it with them when they like would digitize it or collect it or whatever. So it just kind of got lost a little bit to time. There's one font out there uh, called Phoenix, which is sort of, and I think it's P-H-E-N-I-X. Um, it was sort of like a, like a follow-up to that font, but with, instead of lowercase letters, it had like alternates for the cap. So they were all a lot more like rounded and just like interesting shapes. And so like, that's kind of the close, not Phoenix, sorry. Well, no, cause there's Phoenix and then there's, Jefferson, Jefferson Gothic. So Phoenix was one of them. Jefferson Gothic is the one that is currently available. And they're they're very similar uh, in that way. And so like the fact that they were never digitized as a news gothic font means that they were lost a little bit, I would say. And so yeah, like, like nobody can find it. Yeah, exactly. You can't find it. And so I don't think anybody well, I'm not as far as I know, nobody really knew that that was the font that they used in the opening crawls in those early movies. And so that's I think that's one of the reasons why the prequels used um, the Return of the Jedi font and then why the sequels used uh, News Gothic Bold Extra Condensed, which is different, <laughs> very similar, but a different kind of thing. And then why people were like, well, the crawl doesn't look the same. And it's like, well, yeah, but it hasn't for a while. You just didn't realize that Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope were using something else that no one seemed to really know about. And so like finding that and realizing why I couldn't find it and all that stuff was, that was a, that was an interesting, uh, that's super cool journey. Yeah. I think that's super cool. So wait, so none of the original three films use the same font for the crawl text. Uh, well, okay. So star Wars, as it came out in 1977, you know, uh, it didn't have the title, didn't have the oh, episode number right. or anything. Yeah. Oh, um, right. And so right, that right. one, that one was just set. Just the paragraph was just set in trade Gothic bold. Um, or trade Gothic bold number two, the the rounder one. Um, and then Empire Strikes Back was using news Gothic bold for the body, but then they had the news Gothic extra condensed, which that combination was then used again for the re-release of Star of Wars a new, as a new hope. Right, of a new hope, right. But right, then by the time they got to Return of the Jedi, they switched over to uh, Univer 40, set 47, 49, one of those, the light ultra condensed. And I think that, that they did that for the exact same reason why they switched over to Univer 59 in Last Jedi because it didn't have that strong J. Pretty sure that was the exact same reason they didn't learn their lesson. And then almost 30 years later, they had to do it again. No, that is so, I mean, I'm sure you're right about that. Like that is totally why. So, but that's, that is so cool. That's really fascinating. So yeah, so because again, like at that time, they didn't realize they were going to have to do it again. Yeah. And if we do, it's like, well, someone asked me, I'll, I'll do it again. <laughs> do it again. But, and I guess they, they just didn't realize that like, you know, they picked this really nice looking, like sort of big, tall headline font. And, and when they set Empire Strikes Back and it, it looked great and it comes across the screen and it takes up the entire width of the screen as it's like, you know, crawling backwards. And they were like, yeah, that looks really good. That's great. And then they were like, 
I guess, you know, three years later, they're like, all right, the new one's called Return of the Jedi. And they set it out and it's like, oh, when it goes back, it kind of looks like Return of the Yeti or something like. Well, so that's something, too, that I don't think like it's hard. So so A New Hope is the only one of the the original films that doesn't really have its own unique logo for the subtitle for the subtitle. Yeah. And it's like not really a great one to make one out of like a new hope. It's like you can't really I mean, it seems to me it's too many short words. And one of those words is a single letter. And so you can't put that on a line of its own like the because the the can like take up a line or be small and you can put like lines on either side. But if you try to do that with like an A, it just becomes all one mash of just a shape. I think a testament to that is that like you would think in the intervening years, someone would have tried to create one like just for completeness sake, but they never yeah. have yeah. because it just it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> I just don't think it works. I've definitely seen some versions that look I mean, they, they look OK, like they're oh, Pablo Hidalgo the other day, like posted um, a poster that actually did have an A New Hope logo that was sort of in that sort of perspective of like the old like the the original perspective Star Wars logo. Well, that one might actually work because it would lend itself to that sort of perspective because it's sort of like, uh, then new is a little bigger. Oh, and then but, hope is but a little uh, bigger. and new, I'm pretty sure we're on the same line. <laughs> oh, well, OK, OK, that's well that was the issue. I want to say it's a good try, but it just does not have it doesn't <laughs> have the right feeling at all. No, no, I've never particularly liked A New Hope as a title for many reasons. Yeah. And that is kind and that is kind of one of them. And it's also just kind of like redundant. It's just sort of there out of obligation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, they all have titles. This one needs one, too. What if we call it? I don't know. What What is Luke? Is he some sort of hope? Who cares? Yeah. Just put it put it out there. It's yeah. fine. What logo or font wise drives you absolutely up the wall when you see it? Like, like what's an unforgivable sin in like a logo or like the opening credit fonts or like oh, subtitles? God. Well, the um, I mean, not I don't I don't like to knock anyone's work, obviously, but like the um, in the Marvel series Moon Knight, mm -hmm. the the end credits when everyone's like names would come up on screen. The spacing and the kerning of those was just like, oh, I couldn't stand looking at it. Like, Interesting. And, that, and that's like a that's a big production. I feel like they would they would have the the lettering to be just like a little bit different. Like, you know, again, I don't like to knock any of these designers. They're probably way overworked and like the people making those whatever. But but it's just even even like the auto spacing, I feel like would have helped. I don't know. Would have been preferable. Yeah. Yeah. Something that drives me crazy is when very often uh, whenever an old movie or show it's like, you know, re-scanned and remastered for HD or ultra HD resolution. Because they go to the original negative, they have to like recreate certain things, especially for TV shows from like the 1980s. They have to like redo the titles a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And like the substitutions sometimes that they choose like really drive me nuts. Like um, whenever they use like an aerial variant to substitute for Helvetica, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, ugh. Oh, yeah, it used to be better. I'm, like, I, I'm also I'm getting yeah, like, pretty tired of Ariel. I'm going to keep knocking on the Marvel shows, I guess. But like, I'm pretty sure the previously subtitle in uh, She-Hulk, I think that they're just using like, I think it was in She-Hulk. It may have been something else that I was watching, but they're just using Ariel Black, just like plain white Ariel Black. And I'm just like that. You You literally didn't do anything but use the default font on there. Like, I just I don't think that Ariel looks particularly good ever.
but that's, you know. Yeah, for some reason, like I used to be much more of a font snob than I am now. But yeah, that was one I remembered having this like weird sort of hatred for, especially when it would be used when they meant to be using Helvetica. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of like, and you're not even using the right one. It's like, come on, man. I think I was maybe watching a TV show. I can't remember it now, but this must have been a couple of weeks ago. And I feel like I was watching a TV show that was maybe remastered. And they had, like you said, like they, they used like a different font or maybe the font just looked like it was too like crisp mm -hmm. for the quality of the show or something. But in Star Wars terms with that is when they when they did the when they do the Marvel re-releases of some of the old like Dark Horse comics, they have been like recreating some of those titles to like put on really the, yeah so i guess they're scanning in the original artwork and then resetting the title logos um and with one of them river of chaos originally back in god 1995 i think was when river of chaos came out um the title was set well i, guess, I think the original one was set in in some like sort of plain like sans serif font but then the the like i guess it was either for issue i think it was for issue two they started um, this one that was set in this this font called uh, New Text Demi, which mm -hmm. just looks really nice. And it's just kind of like it's like bold and like a little bit like squat and has these nice little not really flourishes, but just like really nice parts of letters. I don't really know how to explain it. <laughs> but then but then when Marvel re-released it, they recreated that logo in just copper plate gothic, which is another font that I am absolutely tired of. Um and it just no, I'm also tired of that font. Yeah, like I does can see it not in my look, head. Yeah, like it just doesn't look nearly as good in copper plate as it did in new text. And it's like they they could have identified it probably and then have had someone do that. And then one of the other uh, Marvel re-releases, which was I think one of the Job of the Hut comics, mm -hmm. uses new text Demi, that same font. And they updated the logo and actually used that correct font. And so it's like, I know that they have the license for it somewhere. Right. Why so they have it and they, they have yeah. it and they didn't use it for River of Chaos. And they made just like a, a worse logo. Must have been a different guy that day. Just some other guy. He's he's the night shift guy. Yeah. yeah. He was like River of Chaos. Yeah, that looks like Copperplate. It's cool. Whatever. So that's the kind of so when it comes to peeves like that, like it's the inconsistency. I think really drives me crazy. If it's like, you know, you establish a convention, then stick with it. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with people updating their logos or, you know, things like that. But like, like recreating the same logo, especially, but doing it just a little bit wrong for whatever reason, like, I don't know that. Well, it's sort of like the uncanny valley of like, of like logos, right? It's sort <laughs> yeah. of like, it's sort of worse because it's almost there, but not quite. It's almost it's so close. It looks familiar enough, but anyone who's like paying, paying attention to it is like, well, but it's wrong. We know that it's wrong. We can tell that it's wrong, but that's just me. I get, I get very pedantic with certain things like that, which is why I have a, you know, a Twitter about fonts of star Wars. No, no, I, we love and welcome pedantry of all of all kinds, especially when it comes to Star Wars on this. Well, I've got on this show. That's why I do a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> um, what is your take on the Orabesh Star Wars alphabet? Is that how you pronounce it? Orabesh? I, I do say Orabesh. Yeah, I think okay. some people say like Orabesh, like they they put a little bit Aura. a little bit of a higher like or or I find it easier to just say Orabesh. Um, for listeners who may not be familiar, like that's the in-universe sort of Star Wars language that like 
uh, whenever you see anything in universe, um, with the exception of the like tractor beam percentage meter in the original Star Wars and the original version, for some reason. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Orbesh? I, as as someone who likes to memorize certain things, learning the alphabet was a fun thing for me. I tried to do it when I was a kid, never really was able to. Did it recently. I'm I'm getting there. Um, Wait, you you know you know the Orbesh alphabet? I mean, a, a little. It's just, I mean, it is just like a it's just like a one to one, you know, like each letter, but like. So when you see something written on screen, like you can read what it says? If I pause it and try for a couple of minutes, yeah. <laughs> that is... Just a little, like there are other people who can definitely read it much better than me. You have just blown my mind. That is an, oh, incredible, yeah. su- that is an incredible superpower. I oh, didn't it's, even not, know. it's not too hard. I mean, I did design... The, the thing is, I didn't... I couldn't really, uh, until I started designing the two Orbesh fonts that I did make, um, I don't know if you saw those. I don't know if you were. This was sort of about a year ago now that I made. No, these. I, I don't think I did. Were. Oh, I yeah. Did. So I'll send you a link to those. Um, yes, please. I I want to look at them, but I will also I'll link to them in the show notes, of course. Oh, awesome. Thank you. But yeah, so I didn't I couldn't really read them until I spent, you know, countless hours designing two fonts based on them. So then like I kind of okay, well, knew makes, the letters. Okay, well, that yeah. makes much more sense. Yeah. 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 Once you work with them a little bit. You spend um, that much time with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, so I'm. I'm still sort of of the opinion that they shouldn't have gone back and changed all of the on-screen text to Orabesh in the originals. And then the fact that they sort of avoid using any sort of English, even though it's what um, High Galactic, I think is what they call the like Latin alphabet in, in universe now. But like, Oh, is that true? Yeah. So like you oh, have that, which is why you still have things like X wings. Cause they look like X's and Y wings. Right. They look like Y's and then like R2 D2 and things like that. So like, these letters still exist, even though they tried to sort of scrub them clean at, at first. So like with the tractor beam thing, but like the original appearance of the Orabesh alphabet in Return of the Jedi made it really seem like it was just like an imperial code language. Mm. And then suddenly they expanded that throughout the entire series. And for a while, they were only using the one like variation of that font. Like it was... It was a font that I, I want to say, like, what, Stephen Crane made it for, like, West End Games. Um, oh, that sounds right. Yeah. Back in like, 1991 like or something. Or some, yeah. yeah, yeah or maybe yeah, yeah. even before. Yeah. yeah. And so they were kind of using only this one style of it. And that was kind of annoying that, like, because if you if you, like, leave your house and, like, you know, go anywhere, you'll see a million different fonts. And so, like, I'm supposed to believe that this entire universe only has one font for right. this Orabesh alphabet. When before we had, you know, it's like not that many different like text styles for like English in Star Wars, but like it just it it got a little weird to me that like it was always the exact same. And they've really branched out a lot more now with the types of Orabesh that they show, Uh, especially like in Kenobi. I want to say when he gets to that one sort of like neon planet, I don't remember what it's called, but like you can see like a million different styles in like different signs and stuff. So I think. I've I've warmed to it a lot more now that it feels a lot more believable and real. Um, but before it would just be like, oh, this is in this same font and this one too, and the Empire is using it and the Rebellion's using it, and it's all they're all yeah. buying their like letter set sheets from the same, you know, company or whatever. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. Like for me, it just seemed like it was never designed with the intention of being used the the way it's used, which is like everywhere for everything. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's cool that like you can read it because like you said, it's like a one to one for the English alphabet. Yeah. Um, Some of them, correct me if I'm wrong, but like some of them not even change all that much. Uh, I mean, as as far as I'm concerned, the G just looks like a sideways G. Yeah, Um, right. I... The I looks like a one. The the L looks kind of like a weird backwards L. So like, yeah, a lot of them do look like their Latin counterparts for sure. So it's like pig Latin almost like it. it yeah, it doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. <laughs> it's a code, they... but you can crack it in about 10 seconds. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, somehow it became like the mm-hmm. written language for all of Star Wars. Which, you know what I mean? In universe, yeah, I guess, but like even in universe, it doesn't really make that much sense because, like, like I said, it was it it looked like it was just supposed to be like this imperial code language. And if you go back one movie to Empire Strikes Back, when um when Luke's in his X wing and R two is talking, it's being translated on the screen, totally different alphabet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go back one more movie, and originally on the tractor beam thing, it's just in regular Latin letters. Um, and then uh, on the screen of the Death Star that's like targeting Yavin, it just says Yavin up there. No, it is interesting. So when Star Wars always kind of rides this line of like, how far can we stray from what is familiar? Like, how much do we want to tweak it? Or how much do we need to tweak it before it becomes something foreign and unrecognizable? Mm -hmm. Right? And like, I feel like they could have dialed up the unrecognizability of the alphabet a little bit more, or at least have like multiple ones. Yeah, (laughs) than just the one. So but I mean, so but I mean, like, it does do something fun for the fans who like, because like, you know, they like hide Easter eggs and that stuff yeah. and stuff like that. So, I mean, so, I mean, that's, that's like cool. uh, like when Futurama like had their alphabets and and the audience kept like figuring out the codes and then they would do like they would do like more like in-depth ciphers and the audience would figure those out. And they're just like, we give up. <laughs> like <laughs> You guys are way too good. So, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a fun thing to have in there. And then like obviously with like episode one, they started having like the Naboo alphabet and there was like a hut alphabet, I think, that was also in there somewhere. And then like the numbers for the pod race, uh, like oh, three, sure. two, one, right. go kind of thing. So they definitely ramped it up by then. But even then, I'm pretty sure when it came to the Orabesh alphabet, it was still just that same one over yeah. and over everywhere. And so I don't no, know, and like you never really me. see those other ones anywhere, like the Naboo alphabet or the HUD alphabet. It's not yeah. like those show up everywhere. Yeah, like, they're not nearly as prevalent. I, yeah, I mean, like most of the important stuff, like even in Andor the other night. I mean, everything is still written in Orbesh. And even mm-hmm. like, I think it was you who pointed it out. Like there was like a very clear five on the side of like a cargo yeah. container. Just a regular yeah. five. Love yeah, it. It's just a regular five. It's Love like you know, no attempt to hide it. Though, you know, if you look at Docking Bay 94, mm-hmm. when they're walking in, there's a 94 painted on the side. It's like, it's very Incredibly stylized. Incredibly stylized. Just one of the greatest little details because you just don't see it until someone prints it out. Yeah. Until someone put. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say for the most part, numbers kind of get a pass like they they can appear sort of as numbers because numbers are kind of universal. You know, like uh, if you look at the sort of range meter on uh, Luke's binoculars in A New Mm -hmm. Hope, like they still look like normal numbers, just maybe a little bit stylized. And I don't remember if we ever identified once again, I'm going to look to see if we identified those numbers. Uh, when you say we, do you mean like the Star Wars Twitter community at large? Yeah, or? like it was for the UI post that I made back in May, it looks like. Uh, I worked with uh, another user, Auric Fonts, 
Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and so he he sent me a bunch of things, uh, the identifiable parts, and then I I put a post together. So it's kind of a it's a little collaboration there, which is really fun. But yeah, so for Luke's uh, binoculars, they're just actually it's all just regular numbers. You have three different fonts that are all just regular everyday numbers and i think so so numbers can definitely show up in star wars and be absolutely normal it's just that when you start getting just you know latin letters then you start you start to get in trouble a little bit even though high galactic is definitely a thing because otherwise we wouldn't have x-wings y-wings c-3po right Right. yeah my final question now that you have amassed all of this knowledge about star wars topography and graphic design do you have any plans or have any thoughts about doing something more with it than, I don't want to say just a Twitter account as if it's not an amazing not resource enough. that is so is so wonderful. Uh, but just out of curiosity, like I know you mentioned you have a YouTube channel, but I don't know, like I'm just imagining, you know, back in the day when I was trying to make a Star Wars fan film 20 something years ago, and I was like trying to figure out like what these typefaces were like, I would have loved for a resource like your Twitter account to exist because it would have it would have told me everything I was looking for. And then yeah, some. a little Star Wars style guide that you could get from somewhere. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I should I could probably I mean, you, you know. could publish the Star Wars style guide. Yeah, why not? I mean, I should. I wish I could do something like official, you know, like I like with Lucasfilm with their money, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, like I mentioned that book, uh, Typeset in the Future earlier. Yeah. That was also one of my inspirations for doing this, uh, was like, I, I looked through it and I was like, oh, there's no Star Wars in here. What if, because Star Wars is such a big thing, what if there was a book that was just about like Star Wars fonts? And that's how I originally envisioned this project going before reala- like realizing that like, that's a lot of work up front and it would, I wouldn't be able to do anything like there, there'd be no real like instant gratification for it. So I was like, well, a Twitter would actually make a lot of sense because then I could sort of interact with people. Anything that I don't know, I could ask anything that I get wrong. I could be corrected on, which, you know, I don't mind. It's fine. Uh, but like, I think that a book would be really, really cool. I just, I don't have the means or the connections to do it. Well, right now, it seems it seems to me like you are building some inroads on Twitter. It seems like I see a lot of your tweets referenced all over the place in some high places. So who oh. knows? But at the oh. very least, I think Pablo Hidalgo, though, he likes to downplay his stature within the company. <laughs> um, I'm sure I've seen him retweet you and reply to you a whole bunch of times. Oh, no? he definitely replies. Yeah, he's really good at, at that. Like you can kind of always rely on him to to have an answer for you, which is really nice. Not that I want to like put way too much on him. I'm just like, Hey, Pablo, me again. Uh, I feel so bad for that guy. He's yeah. He, I mean, we don't deserve him. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely true. But yeah, I mean, though, like you said now, like, it seems like a lot of that upfront work that you were talking about is, I mean, certainly not all of it, but like a large chunk of it has now been completed through the yeah. Twitter account. So you could like throw together a proposal and just, to be like, hey, I got, I got <laughs> we've got this. it all ready to go. Uh, if you're interested, it's technically been published before, but never as yes. a book. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, maybe I should design like a template for what the entries would look like in print and then just send that along. I don't know if I'm going to get a cease and desist if I try that. I don't know. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know how that would go. No, I mean, I would like try to like, you know, get it in the hands of like a Pablo Hidalgo like right. figure to be like, hey, hey bud, like, can, you, can you give this to your boss? 
Form. No, but not even like that. It's like, <laughs> it's like, is there anything you want to do with this? Because I've, I've done it. Like it's yeah. here. I know all this stuff. Is there any way that this would be useful for you guys? Yeah. Like a Lucasfilm story group kind of thing, but for strictly like design stuff and like type stuff. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's, it's an idea that I've sort of thought about a little bit. I just, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Justin, I really enjoyed this conversation very, very yeah, much. Um, there's something about the attention to detail and the obsession, and I mean that in a, a good way, to minutia of this sort, especially with something like Star Wars, it's so design heavy. It's so mm -hmm. about the aesthetics that like something like the fonts, actually, their importance is actually much more than I think the average Joe would necessarily realize. Yeah. And like, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things that like, if you just see blue text, like even if it doesn't say, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but if it's that same blue text on a black background with like, you know, four dots at the end or whatever, like at the beginning of every episode of Clone Wars, like you're already in this universe. Yeah. Like, you know it already. You don't even have to see the yellow text. You don't have to see anything. It's just that. And you're like, oh, right. That's what that's how Star Wars says once upon a time and so here i am so yeah it's it's a testament to design and i think also simplicity i think that's a part of it too it's like the yeah. straightforwardness of it but like the distinction it's also really interesting how like they really claimed at least in the original versions of the original trilogy you had that sort of like green like neon green almost <sighs> depending on the print and then blue and then yellow it's like very this, like, primary yeah yeah it's like really wild actually like how they specifically were like okay we want to make very clear distinctions between these three cards but we'll do so primarily using color yeah and primary color <laughs> very I mean, there's nothing subtle about just it as as simple as we can do it and it's yeah. iconic yeah I mean, it just, they all just work. And like, I mean, the Lucasfilm thing, like so iconic that even though they didn't use it for 20, 30 years, they brought it back for the last season of Clone Wars. Because oh, they some, did. Yeah, they did for, I think the, the last arc in the last season, because I think that they wanted to connect it directly back to the original trilogy. Oh, I think you're right now that I'm remembering it. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they actually brought it back and they just set it in a nice, you know, slightly glowing green helvetica and like there was just right back that was the inspiration for the trash compactor logo yeah yeah like that was my whole thing it's like i'm like it's like a subtle connection to that era that's like mm -hmm. it doesn't like necessarily read immediately as star wars but yet on a subtle level it's like if you grew up watching star wars on vhs you know what that is yeah you're gonna see it you're gonna recognize it and like and if you don't you don't really have to you can still enjoy what it is that i'm bringing but like anyone who has poured over star wars as much as you know the people who are very much obsessed you know like uh like us like they're gonna see that and be like yeah i recognize that green text i know i know that stuff that that means a star wars inbound uh, were you surprised when you went to register Star Wars fonts and it was available? Yeah, incredibly <laughs> surprised. Like, I, w I was like, there's absolutely no way that no one has tried this before. Like, it just seems like two things that go together so well. Yeah, it does. Considering how many versions of like the crawl tutorials I can find on YouTube. Like, yeah, like how is no one? Yeah, I have to admit, like, that was like one of my not first thoughts. But I was like, oh, like, I'm talking to the Star Wars font on Twitter. Like, he <laughs> must me. be the guy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I'm glad it yeah. was you because uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how that someone didn't like sit on that <laughs> for a while. 
Well, it's it's your game, my friend. It's my it's all mine. So if you've made it this far, and if you're at all curious to get into some more Star Wars minutia and actually see some of the things that we've been talking about throughout this conversation, please go to twitter.com slash Star Wars fonts. Very easy to remember. Not like Trash Pod 1. I don't know why it has that one hanging on there. Yeah. Anyway, transcripts of this episode and all our other episodes are available at trashcompod.com. And we are Trashcompod across all social media. Thank you again to Justin, aka Star Wars Fonts. And we will see you on the next one.